resilient, persevering, determined, intrepid, inventive. You have to be all of these things and more when you open a restaurant or a bar in New York City. It's a crowded marketplace, over 25,000 businesses of all sizes with high overhead costs and many risks. Four out of every five restaurants in the city close within the first five years. Restaurants and bars weathered many storms here over the years, both the economic kind and real storms like Hurricane Sandy. But the coronavirus pandemic has challenged the hospitality industry like never before. As Valentine's Day 2021 approached, restaurants were once again given permission to serve customers indoors, maxing out at 25% of capacity. Nearly a year into the pandemic, was it too little, too late? I'm Steve Kastenbaum, and this is New York Gritty, a podcast about the resiliency of New Yorkers during times of crisis and the stories of those who keep this city's magic alive during dark times. I'm Megan Rickerson. I'm the owner of Someday Bar in Borum Hill, Brooklyn. I'm originally from Florida. Um, moved here about 11 years ago, and I've been in the industry since I moved. Um, we opened July 6th of 2019, so we were open about seven months uh, pre-COVID, and have been open now longer in COVID than we were not. We're a local neighborhood bar, full kitchen. You know, we're just trying to make it through this chaotic, insane time right now. How was it going when you first opened up? What was business like here? You know, opening up a new business is extremely stressful, especially when you're in the service industry. We opened in summer, which summer in New York City, unless you have a patio or a rooftop, is a little bit rough for bars. So the first few months were hard. Uh, October, we really started to see a turnaround in customers. So uh, October was good. November was great. December was gangbusters. Uh, And then January and February, which are traditionally super slow bar months, were great for us. Um, We started booking large parties in the back of like 75 people. We had wedding reception buyouts. Um, A local uh, politician held one of her fundraisers here um, that Chuck Schumer actually showed up to, which was great. So for March and April, we had about 20 plus parties booked uh, two months out, which all went away when COVID happened. So things were going great in an industry where most restaurants, most bars don't survive beyond the first five years. You must have been thinking, this is looking good. We're, we're going to do well here. Yeah, I mean, especially because the first like four months were really hard. And we were like, what are we doing wrong? And then we had finally started to hit our stride and, you know, parties were coming in. And it kind of seemed like we had finally dialed in the right thing to do for what the neighborhood needed and what we needed. So, yeah, we thought we were on the up and up. <laughs> do you remember back then when you first started hearing about coronavirus? Yeah, um, I remember I was riding around in a, a friend's car and I I just remember distinctly like hearing about it on the radio when it was still, you know, blowing up in other places and, uh, you know, thinking that it's a reality but like hoping it didn't touch us and not, I don't want to say I wasn't taking it seriously because it definitely was scary, but it was still not, it was still not a reality to us yet. Do you remember that day when City Hall declared a shutdown and said, that's it, everything has to close, all non-essential businesses. Do you remember that? Well, we're deemed um, essential. So I don't remember the exact timeline. I remember the last night in this bar that we were allowed to be open. What was that like? 
sad. It was really sad. A lot of people came out and showed up. But I think it was a, a Sunday or a Monday. It was not a day that we would be busy. And I remember just the bar being not busy but full. But it was still such like a morose, like sad and really scary feeling. I just remember crying a lot. <laughs> um, and I had to furlough all my staff, which um, I don't think people don't understand about the hospitality industry. It, is you know it's not like an office this is like your family so firing people that you care about I mean I cried for two hours after I sent that text message because you just know what kind of burden you're going to inflict upon them rent and car payments and families and it's just such a heavy thing and it's not like I had a choice I mean obviously it had to be done but it doesn't make the burden go away and the the hurt so yeah I did you think back then that I don't know how long I can hang on for. I knew that if we closed, because we were so new and so little, uh, you know, money to put to sit back on, that we if we closed, we weren't going to reopen. So I furloughed the staff. I um, came in every single day and I sat at the bar and I made cocktails. And my chef taught me how to make all of our food, and we did a limited menu. And um, I ran that alone for a good bit until I could afford to bring someone back to help me. Um, so I ran on pure adrenaline for like, I would say, I don't know, four or five months of just being like, okay, I can't stop. I can't stop. So there wasn't really a thought of like, I can't do this anymore. Um, that's been a more recent feeling after like 10 months of the up and the down and then the, having the indoor and then losing the indoor. And now, yeah, we have outdoor, but it's freezing. So it's a constant like emotional roller coaster that... I'm to the point where it's like, how much longer can I emotionally do this? Not even mentioning the whole financial implications we're talking about. So the summer months, July and August, we saw life come back to the streets of New York City. All of the outdoor seating, it felt positive around the city. Did, did you have a similar feeling as, as you saw people returning, as you saw life returning to the streets? I felt it personally that it was positive, however, <laughs> Running a business, running a bar and restaurant during those times was also insanely stressful because of the regulations from the government, because of these insane $10,000 fines if someone had a beer without a food item. And then there was the argument of what a food item actually was. And Governor Cuomo said, well, wings aren't a food item and chips and salsa aren't a food item, but maybe chips and hummus are and soup and pasta, but not candy and not a bag of chips, but French fries are. And so... <laughs> I mean, you laugh and I laugh too, but that was, it was emotional gaslighting at the, the very, very least of trying to understand these things that are literally being dropped in our laps. And uh, so we had the, the food requirement that we had to satisfy. We had, if somebody was standing up at a table, go smoke a cigarette away from our stanchion and they had no mask on or it was around their chin, $10,000 fine. Um, and instead of holding the person accountable, you're holding the business accountable. It seems like a lot to ask when we're already doing so much. September rolls around. Suddenly we start seeing this gradual uptick in positive test results for coronavirus. And every day it was going up a little bit more. And I thought, this is not good. What were you thinking as a business owner when you started seeing that? Well, I mean, September is also when we got uh, indoor dining at 25%. You know, in the beginning of September, uh, that felt optimistic. And, you know, they had said okay, if we can get through a few weeks of this, we'll get you up to 50, the October 1st, which, you know, the second we got 25%, I was like, we're never getting to 50. That was a thing, you know, that I never thought was going to come. 
all the scientists said that this was going to happen and why there was no plan in place for our industry on what we were going to do, or at least that was the, that's the perception from what we've been given from the government is really frustrating because we knew it was coming. Everyone knew. How are you feeling? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm very, very tired. Some days it's like an effort to get out of bed. And some days I come in and I get 20 things done on my to-do list. And other days I just stare at my desktop because the thought of doing anything is just such a monumental feat. So how much longer can you do this for? I think that's the big question that most people in bars and restaurants are looking at right now. It's 10 months of no no real assistance, no relief. And and honestly, only until the last month or two, real acknowledgement of the suffering that our industry has gone through from our local, like our city and state. And it's kind of like a little bit too late now. It It's almost like callous, like being patted on the back. Oh, you know, we get it. And I don't think, I think that's the biggest problem too is they're making these decisions without bringing anybody from the industry to the table. You know, we're not sitting here being petulant children and being like, this isn't fair, and this is, this is you know, against us. We have valid reasons why we're upset, and they're, they're well thought out, and they're educated reasons because we work in this industry and we understand what it's going to take to get through it. What do you think? What's going to happen in New York when there's some return to, uh, I guess, a new normal? So I'm praying that we have a roaring 2020s, and that's what happens. Um, I think, as much as I hope that that happens, I think a lot of damage has been done to New York. I think a lot of people have left. I know a lot of people that have left, and I think that the fear of what has happened for the last 10 months that I don't think anywhere else in the country has experienced is going to affect people's behaviors on the way they go out. I'm praying that I'm wrong. I'm praying that everyone is just going to run out into the streets and be like, let's go drinking and eat all of the food. But I just don't know. And I think, again, it's this limbo and uncertainty that this industry is living in that is forcing people to shudder because they just don't know how they're going to make it and they don't know what it's going to look like in the world after coronavirus. I've had other owners of businesses in the service industry say to me, we are literally hanging on by a thread and the only thing that's being offered to me right now is piling on more debt. Yeah, uh, the Edel loan that came out has you know a great low interest rate, but you're incurring more debt and it also has a personal guarantee on it, which can affect you not only on a business end, but now on a personal end. So I'm supposed to destroy my business career and then also put my personal life at risk to try to survive. That doesn't seem viable for a lot of people. I'll ask you the question that I ask everybody. We had 9-11, we had Hurricane Sandy, we had the financial crisis, the Great Recession, and, and the city somehow bounced back and was better after all of those crises. Is that going to happen this time, or do you think this is the one? God, I hope so, because <laughs> um, I love this city. Like, I'm not a native New Yorker, but I can't ever see myself being anywhere else because I mean obviously I opened a business I'm not planning on leaving so I pray so hard that that is this is not going to be the thing that ends us but I think also that a lot of things in the city have to change that have needed to change for a while and I was I'm just kind of hoping that this is the catalyst um you know between like 
landlord and tenant relations and regulation on rent and you know there's personal guarantee in all commercial leases which is you know a thing where landlords can now come after or can come after you for the rent that you can't pay there's just so many things that need to change and i think if we can get back to the old new york we have to make some changes to make the, the old new york also a new new york to make it you know livable for everybody because right now it's very very clear that it's only livable for people that have money, especially during coronavirus with the amount of people that are losing their jobs and not being able to feed their families. Like, something does have to change. My name's Andrew Ridgey. I'm the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. We are a not-for-profit association that represents restaurants, bars, nightclubs throughout the five boroughs and the halls of government. We provide a lot of education, training, and advocacy for the industry. We're on the Upper West Side of Manhattan here. This is one of the more densely populated parts of Manhattan. We're at a diner here on the corner, but this goes way beyond the restaurants that the tourists know of here in Manhattan. It's, it's every corner of New York from the, the Southeast Asian restaurants in parts of, of Queens to the different types of Hispanic restaurants in the Bronx. And in Brooklyn, you have Brooklyn's Chinatown and, and Italian restaurants in parts of Brooklyn. And, and it's, it's mind boggling when you think about how many establishments across New York City were in the blink of an eye shut down with the exception of takeout orders, which which really, I presume, is not something you can survive on. It's devastating. It doesn't matter the type of cuisine, the style of service. Industry has just been hit so hard all throughout every single neighborhood. How many people are part of this business, not just the owners, not just the waiters and waitresses and the people in the kitchen, there are a lot of people who have jobs that are related to the restaurant industry, not just the folks directly employed in those establishments, right? Yeah, uh, it has been economically devastating for not only the restaurant industry, the owners and the operators and the workers, but the economic ecosystem that relies on a vibrant restaurant industry. I mean, think of the farmers upstate where we buy our produce from, or the fishermen out in Long Island where we buy our fish, the sales rep that sells beer, the linen suppliers, these countless other peoples whose livelihood depend on restaurants coming back. So it's really had this devastating impact. I mean, just in the industry alone, pre-pandemic, there are more than 25,000 eating and drinking establishments in the five boroughs, employing about 325,000 New Yorkers. While we don't know exactly how many restaurants have permanently shuttered, we estimate the numbers in the thousands. There was a report released a few months ago by the state controller's office that said without adequate government support, which we still have not received, one third to one half of the city's restaurants and bars could permanently shutter. And when it comes to those employees, the 325,000 that worked in the industry before the pandemic, more than 140,000 of them are still out of work. That's nothing short of devastating for each one of these people who have had their livelihoods impacted, their ability to literally survive taken away from them. The whole entire situation is so troubling. And it's not just one type of person, the diversity of the restaurant industry. I mean, the melting pot of New York City is recognized in no place more so than New York City's restaurant industry. So you have people in every single neighborhood of all walks of life, 
all losing their livelihood and having no idea what lies ahead in the future. You know, restaurants aren't just vital to the economic, but also to the social and cultural fabric of New York City. So it's really where life happens. And we are at the streetscape. So we are that richness and that texture of New York City. That's why people from all around the world come here to live, come here to visit, so much in part because of the restaurants and the nightlife. You guys have a menu I can take? I know what I'm going to get now, but like... We actually don't. We just have these guys right here if you wanted to grab a picture or anything. My name is Daniel Eddy. I'm a New Yorker and have been in the hospitality industry for 15 years or so. What's the name of your restaurant now? The name of my business is called Winner. And where is it located? Located in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So how long have you been in this industry? You And how did you get started? I started, I've been in the industry now, I guess it's been 15 years or so, 16 years. Uh, and all got started because I uh, had no desire to continue on with uh, college. <laughs> sort of sitting at the dining room table of uh, my home with my mom, you know, expressing to her my disenchantment with what I was studying and not quite seeing a path, a career path ahead of me doing what I was doing. She proposed the idea of culinary school. And uh, that kind of was what set me on the path that I have been on since. So what was your first job in the restaurant industry? Uh, I was a busboy when I was six, uh, maybe 15 or 16 years old. I was a busboy. After that, I waited tables and uh, a couple years thereafter. And it wasn't until I was around 21 years old that I actually got my first apprenticeship in, in the city. So at what point did you decide that it was time to focus on opening a new restaurant in, in Brooklyn? By March of 2018, my son and I ended up uh, escaping the city and we went on a little vacation together. He was, I guess, at this point six. It was great. It was a great year for me to sort of reflect and to sort of begin to think of what I wanted moving forward. And when I began to think smaller and I began to look at my own neighborhood where I lived, where I was raising my son, where he was going to school, where I found myself walking around and just getting to know people uh, in and around there, it kind of sort of made me ask myself, well, how can I serve this community? How can I create something, take all of the knowledge and the years of experience that I have and and put together something that's going to be fulfilling and meaningful and uh, fill a certain void that there might be in the community? And that's kind of what led to winter. When was that? When did you decide upon that? Around Around what time? Ooh, I'd say beginning of 2019. So long before coronavirus was on anybody's mind, uh, a year or more, right? Before yep. it had popped on anybody's radar, right? Yeah. And um, it happened to be that in May of 2019, a, uh, a for rent sign uh, written in <laughs> like practically like a piece of paper, <laughs> like a cardboard was just put up in the window of this restaurant, uh, that was five blocks from, um, my, my apartment. And, and that began to sort of set the course of action for mm. a winner. What goes into making that a reality, turning that vision into a restaurant that you hold the keys to? Uh, it was the first restaurant that I actually walked into that was already a pre-existing restaurant. Prior to that, I had only ever built out restaurants from scratch. That's all that I knew. To walk into a space that basically had a kitchen, the gas was turned on. I was like, well, worst comes to worst. If I can't get a bank loan, at least I can like start cooking and I'll figure it out. 
forget the bells and whistles, forget all the dollars that they cost to get those things. Like put your love into it and see how it goes. At what point do you start hearing about this virus and the problems that were evolving in China before it started showing up elsewhere? So I signed the lease October 1st and then immediately started doing the demolition and the work uh, to try and get the space to be ready. And that went up until about middle of January. And finally, by March 1st, there was an opening date that I had set, and uh, that opening date was March 9th. At this point, I was just so like deep into opening this. I heard some trickle on it uh, of like the coronavirus, and uh, my wife and son had just returned from Milan um, from visiting her aunt and uncle out there, and I guess they got back. They got back the fourth, the third, or the fourth of March, and. They had just made it out of the country before, I guess, the lockdown happened. So that put it right on my radar. I kind of realized that this was real and that it was going to come our way. But I also had my back up against the wall. You know, I didn't really have any other option. I also didn't know what to expect or the magnitude that it would be. I just knew that there was a game plan that I had sort of laid out and that, you know, the curtains were drawn and the show was on. And so March 9th, we opened. And I think it was by the 13th, I decided not to let anybody else back into the space because I just, you know, every morning I was looking at the news and looking at the newspaper, just waiting for like that first notice to say somebody's tested positive in New York City for COVID, knowing that there would be a domino effect thereafter. And uh, I guess what shut down was the, whew, the 16th, 15th or 16th. I can't even remember now. I, I feel like I'm watching, uh, you know, a silent film with the music getting more and more dramatic as the barrel is coming towards the edge of the falls and you're about to go over the falls, the fall being the shutdown in New York. Is, is that how it felt when it happened? Yeah, uh, it was heavy. Um, and it kind of went back to like the point that I made that there never is a good time to open up a restaurant in New York City. <laughs> um but the idea of shutting down and having to file for bankruptcy and, and not even giving this business a chance to exist after so much that sort of had been put into it, um, there was, you know, felt a responsibility towards the staff that we had just sort of like started this business. And, you know, we didn't know how heavy it was going to get, but, you know, we kind of sat down and kind of decided that we would just go and and uh, it just started going. And I think it was maybe about two weeks afterwards, maybe three. I just had a date where I was just, it, it felt it felt like way too much. And I'd made the decision that I was just going to close it down. I was like, you know what, let me just close this down and whatever happens, happens. You know, I won't be the first person in history to file for bankruptcy. I'm sure that there's things and somebody will do. <laughs> tell me what I have to do and what that looks like. And, you know, it was that same day that I had, you know, three or four guests, you know, kind of pull me off to the side and just be like, Hey, you don't know how much we need this. And I was like, Oh fuck, man. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden it, it sort of came from this, um, this other sense that had less to do about like, Oh, this is a cool new bakery. It was like, this is giving us a little bit of, 
a normalcy or something to look forward to and this sort of weight of responsibility towards the community and being one of those things that was providing people a, uh, a, a bit of comfort and, you know, a bit of solace during this time that I almost, I felt almost a guilt of, of the idea of having to, to shut down. How did you manage to stay afloat? Well, in part was that I had no data. So, I mean, I was, I was only up because a week before the shutdown, I was at zero, you know, really like if you're at zero, when you open up, there's really no place but to go up. Um, You know, as of March 8th, I hadn't sold a single item. March 9th, I sold two. March 16th, I sold 10. Um, So I guess there was that, that that sort of allowed us to do that. And, And part of also of the model that I really wanted to buy into too, was that we were going to make what we could physically make and not try to make anything more than that. You know, how many baked goods can you make and how many do we have to make in order to be able to pay X, Y, and Z? And let's just make that. And if we sell out, we sell out. There's always tomorrow. I certainly, as a business owner, didn't want to put ourselves on thin ice and try to exceed the demand that there was. And all of a sudden, at the end of the day, say, oh, we have all this left over because, you know, that's never a good look. It's a waste of labor. It's a waste of product. It's a waste of energy. So we'll, we'll expand as we can. We've heard about restaurant after restaurant having to close down, owners seeing their debt piling up more and more and and chefs out of work. Did you have some sort of epiphany about that when you saw what was happening to your industry? You know, when the pandemic hit and all the restaurants shut down, a lot of my friends started reaching out in part because they were all unemployed at, you know, didn't know what to do, stuck at home, kind of losing their minds. Uh, and also wanting to help out because they knew that I had just opened and that I was going through what I was going through. And so that's where sort of this idea of allowing friends to come to to winter and have a week where they could just get out of their own heads and get out of the environment that they were in and get back to doing what they love to do, which was to feed a community. You have a guest chef and other guests come in Every week? Yeah, every week uh, it's a different chef comes in and they cook a meal. And this is dinner for the week. And so you get what you get and you don't get upset as as the phrase is in something that my son came back to me when I think he was in first grade and told me. Uh, so we kind of adopted that, you know, just uh, this is what dinner is this week. And you can kind of take it or leave it. And it's going to be different next week. And it's going to be a different story from a different chef cooking something that they love that is meaningful to them. And it's, you know, allowed us to have some spectacular people come in and sort of share their love. And it in turn has also provided them uh, a moment to just sort of be themselves and, and do what they know how to do best. What has this pandemic been doing to you, to the chefs that you're allowing to come into your establishment to, to cook every week? I mean, I've most of, uh, if not all the chefs that have come in have, have left that week with a sense of sort of, I don't know, happiness and, and gratitude and just being provided a place they can come and cook at a moment in time where it's hard to find that, to have it even for a day or even for a week, to feel that sense of fulfillment that you've contributed, that you've fed others, 
brings a little bit of happiness uh, for so many people. And to be able to be a platform for others to achieve that, you know, that makes me happier. It makes me feel great about sort of what we've created and um, knowing that there's a small part of this business that is doing a little bit of good. Do you feel like you're overly optimistic? I mean, it sounds like you're very optimistic. Right now, I feel confidence that we're going to sustain it for the long term. I think it's also, you know, growing up in New York City, you know, we see a lot. You know, I grew up in East Harlem in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, a witness as a child of the crack epidemic. That kind of sets the tone growing up of the hardships that people face. We look back to, you know, from that point to current, all the things that New York City has gone through. And, you know, New York tough, right? And being resilient and not allowing this so-called writing on the wall to define what the future will hold. We learn from this, we adapt, we move forward, we should be calculated in what we do and how we do it. And with those decisions that we make, we can begin to sort of forge a new path forward. I hope that for the hospitality industry, we take this moment of really the industry being decimated you know, as a whole, that we really understand that we are at ground zero right now. And that now, if ever, there is, it's the best time to rebuild it from the ground up. Because the hospitality industry, I think, has been tragically flawed for a long time. And here we are. If we're going to rebuild, then we might as well rebuild the right way and really come together as a group to really think of the collective and say, okay, what is it that we need to keep this industry alive? And forget alive. How do we get it to a point that it can flourish, that it can continue to provide careers and retirement plans for a community that never had those things before? You know, we either take this moment in time now to really address what we want the future to look like, or we're going to have a very big missed opportunity. Hey, my name is uh, Phil Morgan of Brooklyn, New York. Um, I am the owner of a closed restaurant that and bar that will most likely not ever reopen, at least not in that location. Tell me about where we are right now. We are in uh, Kings County Distillery. It is the oldest whiskey distillery in New York City. And we, behind me, we have uh, two beautiful copper stills that were made in Scotland. The place smells great. <laughs> it, it does. It's uh, you know we have we have our mashing right here, so we're in the middle of converting the starch to sugar, uh, which is corn and barley. Uh, this is actually a batch of moonshine that we're we're making, and I'm doing some consulting work for them, helping them fine tune their their process and make um, and help them make what they're doing easier and better. Give us a little background on on your restaurant and the bar. So building on bond, um, we uh, signed the lease in 2007 and we opened in 2008. And uh, building on bond became a uh, a neighborhood uh, hangout, neighborhood institution that was a place for people to get coffee in the morning at seven o'clock in the morning to have a afternoon coffee, uh, a bite to eat, uh, a pastry with with your child or a friend. People wrote books there. Um, People had business meetings there. Uh, people found their their wives and husbands there. It really became a, a, a sort of cultural hangout for, for the neighborhood over the 12 and a half years that we are open. Most people in the neighborhood will call uh, Building on Bond 
B.O.B. or Bob, and I thought it would be a nice sort of fun thing to call the bar, uh, the new bar that we opened in 2015, to call it Robert. People adopted your, your restaurant and, and later your bar as, as their home in the community. Very much so. You know, that, that success was, it, it had a lot to do with this was not my first rodeo. It was not my first restaurant. And a lot of neighborhood uh, residents and, and even some very famous people made it their home, not just for eating, but for working. It was really important, certainly in the beginning in 2007 or 2008, was to build a sense of community. And there were so many people that were out of work. And they needed a place to work and look for their job or work on their, their side project. And if it was Jonathan Ames writing his film stuff, or if it was um, Jonathan Saffron Four writing his book, or if it was uh, Ethan Hawke having his meetings with, uh, with his partners or people that he's pitching a movie to, or his wife and his kids. So there was all of those things happening. If it was a meeting for a new business, if it was a meeting for a new, a new project, if it was the family sitting down having their pancakes at Sunday brunch, it was there for everyone all of the time. And unfortunately it's shut now because of COVID and a landlord that did not want to in any way, shape or form come to the table and work with us. How did that impact you? Take me through that moment. We knew we were shutting. We had to sh shut indoor dining. We couldn't even have outdoor dining yet, even though we had the space for that. We could only do takeout and delivery. So after they announced that we could only do takeout and delivery, we did that for 10 days. And we were making 150, $180, $300 a day. It made zero sense for us to try to, to stay open. Everyone was really worried. We didn't know if you needed to wash your hands or wash all your services or, or wash your, or sanitize your groceries which now we know we don't have to do, but there was a learning curve that was happening and people were too paranoid to go get food to go. And I was not allowed to serve any drinks even outside. So at that, we did it for 10 days, sales were horrible, wasn't even making enough money to cover my, my, my chef, my cook, let alone the, the cost of goods or the barista that was working with me upstairs during the day and it was just me. So uh, we opened at nine o'clock in the morning for coffee and we were shut at five o'clock in the evening. It just, it, it didn't make any sense for us to open, so we shut. And that's when I started having the conversation with the landlord, and he said, where's my rent? As a business owner, as you saw everything in your world shutting down and, and the ability to sustain your life's work, essentially, from day to day, what was running through your mind? It wasn't about my life's work. It was about the, the Latin guys that were working in my kitchen that were afraid to go on unemployment because they're afraid that they're gonna get deported if they do it. The, uh, the baristas that, that just started working so they were afraid to apply to you know, get the, uh, unemployment. The next three months was doing a GoFundMe fundraiser for my staff, a GoFundMe for the restaurant itself uh, to help uh, the staff. I had food in the, in, in the walk-in box that I couldn't use anymore. They would come by, I would give it to them to take home. Um, it was doing everything I could to help them through this really difficult time. My life work was definitely secondary. Um, there was trying to get the landlord to come to the table, which was a, a five to six month battle 
that I knew I was not going to win. How many employees did you have, by the way, at the time? There were 30, 32 employees. So that's a lot of people, yeah. families depending on you. This must have been an incredible weight on your shoulders. For sure. Why helping them was more important than my legacy of building on bond in the corner. But all I was doing is digging a really deep hole filled with rent payments that this landlord was in no way, shape, or form willing to concede or say, don't worry about the first three months. I want it all. Oh, you're going to get you're going to get your um, your PPP money, and I'll just take that. Uh, the PPP money was for two and a half months, and we were shut for seven. And a lot of people were starting to open up for real in July. It was not going to solve the problem because the landlord was not willing to work with us. He was not on our team, and the landlords that are on our team are part of the community that is New York that is working together with all of the other restaurants where they're like, yes. Let's let's come up with it. Let's come up with a deal. You can pay six thousand instead of instead of twenty one thousand, or you know let's go. We'll we'll uh, erase the, the three months rent that you have there, but let's put it at the end of your lease. We'll cut. We'll figure out a way. We'll defer it. We'll come up with something, but saying no to everything meant that there was no. You must have been angry, anxious. Did did you sleep at all? Uh, I didn't sleep for a while. I'm not alone. There are hundreds of other restaurants that were being shut for the same reason. Landlords that were stubborn and were not going to move. All over New York City, all over the five boroughs that make up this city, you see restaurateurs taking advantage of this um, open streets system that they set up. They've put seating out there. They've built pretty elaborate structures so people could be seated safely and, and allay some of their concerns about coronavirus. Most of the people that are, have built their outside area um, probably did really well in July, August, and September, and then October is getting cold, so you're not going to be able to have a lot of people sitting out. So you don't have you don't have a real indoor space, and sure, it's really helpful, but all we're doing, all the restaurants, the majority of them, are losing less money. They're not making money. Most of the restaurants in our neighborhood around uh, Building on Bond, um, most everyone's doing somewhere between 10 and 30% of their sales that they, did, that they did last year. So really, really low, meaning that their sales are off by 70 to 90%. 90% off. So you're doing 10% of what you used to do. That's devastating. If we can't come up with some kind of plan, certainly for the restaurants where they're only deferring the rent, if we can't come, come up with some kind of help from either on a state or federal level, there's no way that these restaurants are gonna be able to, to bury, unbury themselves. It's gonna get really, really ugly when, when this is over and they have to start taking, tending to this debt. What kind of psychological toll has this been taking on people in your business and on you? My last manager that I had that was working with me, she also was a bartender, she was a good barista, she was the last employee that I had. And the, the emotional toll it took as we were shutting, it was the two of us throwing the key in the door uh, together was, it was some really heavy shit. And also the people that are working now, the psychological toll of them knowing that they're working in a restaurant and they are putting their life at risk to be serving someone at a table. It is, it is dangerous. You should not be interacting with people, but that's what their job is.
They have no choice. How else are they going to, to make a living, some of these people, right? It's really difficult. Uh, I, um, I'm no longer running my restaurant. I, <clears throat> I miss it. Uh, people, uh, I can't walk down the street with my dog without people saying, oh my, oh my God, I miss you so much. Uh, they don't miss me. They miss Billy on Bond or they miss Robert Barr. And I've had to pivot. I took my real estate salesperson's exam and course and passed it. And I now I'm hanging my license with a, with a commercial real estate broker, brokerage firm. Why commercial? Somebody needs to rebuild New York City. And we need to help put really awesome operators in really awesome places. I would love to be able to help do that. Throughout this pandemic, we've heard this ongoing debate over whether or not New York can survive this, whether New York has now been changed and this change cannot be reversed. Is New York dying? Is New York going to bounce back? What do you think? New York City has not stopped changing and will never stop changing. This is just a huge shift. There's going to be a pivot. It's going to come back. Not a question. The question is when and how. It's just going to pivot and be different. It's not what it was. It never was what it was. It's going to pivot and change. It always has. It's a city that changes really quickly. And it, yeah, it'll be back. It's just not going to be like we remember it. But it's going to be very, very tough. But we're going to get through it. We always have. The rest of the country will too. It's just going to take time. How much time? Uh, no, who knows? Join us for our next episode of New York Gritty when we look at the Broadway shutdown, putting tens of thousands of people out of work and starving New York of $12.6 billion in related economic activity. We had sort of an existential crisis about how, how were we going to survive. Subscribe to New York Gritty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. And please rate and review us as well. I'm Steve Kastenbaum. Thanks for listening.